What is gossip? How is it harmful to my recovery? Welcome to episode 402 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Marsha, Joy, Leslie, Diana, Amy, Pam, and Paula. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Marsha, Joy, Leslie, Diana, Amy, Pam, and Paula for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we'll share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer. I am your host today, and joining me today is Laurel. Welcome to The Recovery Show. Welcome back to The Recovery Show, Laurel. Thanks so much, Spencer. Today, we're going to talk about gossip, and you picked a couple of readings to start with. You want to share those? Sure. The first one is from Courage to Change. It's from January 25th, so it's on page 25. Before I discovered Aladine, I often used other people's problems as an excuse to avoid my obligations. I loved the drama of another's crisis and talked about it at every opportunity. My own life seemed increasingly trivial, and my problems felt silly. It was therefore very difficult for me to focus on myself when I came to Al-Anon. I wanted to talk about the alcoholic when I came to meetings, but no one seemed interested. They all kept asking about me, how I felt, what I did, what I wanted. I found that I was overly interested in others because I had such a low opinion of myself. My sponsor helped me to see that when I acted as if someone else's life was more important than mine, I was harming myself. This had to stop if I wanted to learn to value my own experience. Focusing on myself was the beginning of building self-esteem. It took practice, but with the support I got in meetings, I grew more comfortable. I learned to talk about myself and to view my feelings, achievements, and concerns as valid and important. Today's Reminder Today, if I'm tempted to gossip or to create a drama around someone else's life, I'll ask myself, what is going on with me? And the quote is from Al-Anon Spoken Here. We talk about the part we played in our problems and how we change our attitudes and actions by applying the Al-Anon program to our lives. You want me to go ahead and read a second one? Sure. That's on page 300 of Birds to Change. Which is October 26th. I remember others' unkind words vividly. Criticism sent me reeling. Snickers crippled me the days. It never occurred to me that I was being abused or that the harsh words could be untrue. Everyone seemed to know just how wrong I was, and my identity was bound up in a knot of shame. My self-esteem sank lower and lower. I, in turn, treated others cruelly, I found it great fun to assault someone's character in the company of friends. For a few minutes, I felt better about myself, but not for long and only at other people's expense. Gossip never enriched anyone's character. It was only an excuse to avoid focusing on myself. Today's reminder, many of us tend to react rather than act. When we hurt, we may want to strike out and hurt someone else. 
In Al-Anon, we learn that we can interrupt this automatic response long enough to decide how we really want to behave. Someone else's unkindness is no reason for me to lower my standards for my own behavior. When I take responsibility for my actions, regardless of what other people do, I become someone I can be proud of. When I feel good about myself, it's much easier not to take insults personally. And the quote is a Latin proverb. If one throws salt at thee, thou wilt receive no harm unless thou hast sore places. I see. (laughs) I guess that's true. I guess it is. Yeah. You wrote to me proposing this topic and you said it came out of your fourth step inventory. You want to say a little more about how that came about? Sure. I've been working on my step four for a while. I had promised myself I would do it in April, fourth month, fourth step. Okay. As I went through the step study with my sponsor and we did the readings and questions around the fourth step, a lot of things came out and I wrote them down, but I just didn't feel ready to do it yet. I was still pretty overwhelmed by the kind of changes ongoing in my life. And finally, about two weeks ago, at the end of that meeting, she just said to me, when are you going to you gonna do your fourth step, huh? <laughs> as soon as I, we meet on Zoom, so as soon as I closed my computer, I sat down and I just wrote it all out. I wrote to you about a couple of things that came out of that, and one of them was, was gossip. And actually, it came about because I was thinking about something that happened at work. It was a time when I believed something someone said to me and acted on that information in a way that I now understand was kind of managing and meddling and manipulating, right? Okay. And at the time, of course, I thought I was helping someone. If thinking about that person as someone I potentially harmed by sticking my nose in where I didn't need to and by not treating them with the dignity I should of letting them make their own mistakes and learn their own hard lessons, (laughs) I realized that at the part of that was gossip, right? That Mm. if I had not had an ongoing kind of gossipy relationship with this person at work, I would never have had that information and felt compelled to act on it. And in the end, the person I thought I was helping felt really humiliated and embarrassed. So I have an amends to make for that. But it was interesting to realize that gossip wasn't unrelated to uh, the four M's. And once we come into prayer, the way we look at our own behavior differently. As we often do here, we spend a little bit of time thinking about what gossip is. How did I used to feel about it? How do I feel about it now? What's my current understanding? That Those sorts of questions. What does this term gossip mean to you? I guess I always just thought of gossip as talking about other people not in their presence. That works for me. I see you pulled out something that looks like a dictionary definition. Sure is, yep. Casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. So there's another aspect there, which is that gossip can contain speculation. Or I heard from so-and-so about such-and-such is one of those things that definitely has come up in the interesting that the definition, it says other people. So maybe that sort of implies mm-hmm. that they're not in the conversation. Conversation about people who are not there. 
Yep. Is, and I is, actually think harmful gossip can involve information that is true. <laughs> sure. But oh, just, yeah. not, just not your business. Not my business. And this question, what did I used to think gossip meant? I think that I didn't think about it. I engaged in it. I definitely can think of times when I engaged in gossip and I didn't think that's what I was doing. If I thought about it at all, Mm -hmm. we were just having a conversation. There was a period at work when, just say the work environment was not the healthiest. (laughs) Groups of us would... Here's the thing. So we would go into somebody's office and close the door to talk about a third party. If that's not a sign that we felt that what we were doing was not something we wanted that person to hear, I don't know what would be. Right. But it wasn't gossip. We were like talking about how this person is messing up what we're trying to do or whatever, or they're making unreasonable demands. I think for me, definitely a part of that was like not taking that to the person. I'm talking to person A about the problems that I'm having with person B. I'm not talking to person B about those problems. What's with that? And at the time, that seemed perfectly reasonable. What are some of your earlier experiences with gossip? gosh, you know, I'm a girl who's raised in the South. I feel like gossip is part of culture. <laughs> Not to insult my homeland, it's so normalized, right? I think it's pretty common and pretty normalized. When I came into program and I heard the, the cautions, the three obstacles to success, that kind of mm-hmm. thing in meetings, I thought, well, that makes sense. This is supposed to be a safe place. It's supposed to be an anonymous fellowship. Of course, we're not supposed to talk about what people said in meetings outside of meetings. And we're supposed to hold all these things in confidence. But I began, as I said, once I started moving through the steps and thinking about my own part in conflicts, whether that's with my ex-wife uh, or with folks at work, I realized that there were lots of times when I needed to have a different boundary, not just with people and emotions, but with information. And I started to think about gossip in in those terms. I think before that, I thought if you were saying something nice about someone behind their back, that probably wasn't gossip. It was only if it was mean, malicious, or you're tearing somebody down. But I think even if you think you're saying something nice, why not just say it to them? Then? Yeah. What are we doing talking to someone else about a third person? What is it we think we're doing in that interaction? Why not talk about ourselves and save comments and questions and congratulations and even difficult confrontations for uh, interactions with the person that we're talking about? That is, that's a really interesting understanding that you just expressed there. Um, I actually have an example (laughs) that has come up relatively recently. For a, a number of years, I would tell people in my circle of acquaintances, my wife, some friends, I would say something like, my current boss is the best boss I've had in whatever it is, 40 years of working. 
I finally managed to say it to him. (laughs) But that took a lot longer. What is the barrier here of saying, hey, boss, you're the best boss I've ever had. What is the barrier? Why do I feel more comfortable saying it to somebody else? Because there's like an emotional feedback thing, I think, is part of it for me. It's really interesting. And and considering that is a form of gossip, like I'm talking about him. What if somebody goes to him and says, Spencer said this thing about you, and I haven't said it to him. Like, how does that feel, I wonder? So, yeah, true. Because I think I'm with you. I would have thought in the past, I would have said, yeah, gossip is like harmful or malicious, negative, false rumors. And if I'm saying something nice, that's okay. And it's more okay. But we're still talking about somebody else when they're not there. You mentioned briefly the three obstacles to success. And I thought not everybody is probably familiar with that particular reading. It's not something that is read in the meetings that I regularly attend. Uh, and it, you can Google it and find it. It shows up on a bunch of different web pages about Al-Anon. The three obstacles to success in Al-Anon. All Al-Anon discussions should be constructive, helpful, loving, and understanding. In striving toward these ideals, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension and distract us from our goals. And so I'll just read the three things that they identified here as obstacles to success. One is discussions of religion, because we're not allied with any particular sector denomination. Second is gossip, and we'll come back to that. And then the third is dominance, uh, which starts out by saying our leaders are trusted servants. They do not govern. And that's from, I think, tradition two. Mm -hmm. Um, But gossip, what it says here, we meet to help ourselves and others learn and use the Al-Anon philosophy. In such groups, gossip can have no part. We do not discuss members or others, and particularly not the alcoholic. Oh, that's difficult. I got to say, I have trouble with that one. Um, But anyway, our dedication to anonymity gives people confidence in Al-Anon. Careless repeating of matters heard at meetings can defeat the very purposes for which we are joined together. So that talks about gossip, particularly within the context of the program. But that's a really good place to learn to not do it. Yeah. I learned a whole lot of things about interpersonal relationships in meetings because of the principles and the practices of meetings. Like one person speaks at a time. Many meetings you speak once and then keep your mouth shut the rest of the time. You don't respond to something somebody said. So here we are with gossip. And I don't know about you. Me, there have definitely been times after meetings when I have wanted to talk with a friend about something somebody else said in the meeting. And particularly if I bring in the personality of that person, how they said it, what I think about what they said in the context of who said it, that's definitely gossip. And that's a difficult line for me. Somebody says something that really strikes me. I want to... I. First, maybe I go to that person and say, thank you for what you said. That really inspired me. I really took some new understanding from it, whatever. Maybe I do that. But then 
maybe I'm meeting with somebody else who was in the meeting afterwards, and I'm like, hey, did you hear what so-and-so said? That was so cool. That turns into gossip. And yeah. It definitely, for me, relates to crosstalk. It's interesting, though, how how those reminders and meetings work, because the friendships that I've formed in Al-Anon, because I have a few friends in Al-Anon that I see outside of meetings that we might go for a walk or go get a cup of coffee or something. And, you know, we will talk about how how we're doing, what just happened in a meeting, mm-hmm. people we were happy to see. And occasionally somebody will say, and I include myself in this, I don't want to gossip. But. <laughs> but you're stretching yourself and you're thinking, I'm going to say something about a third person. Is it gossip or not? Because clearly we can't go through life and never, ever talk about anybody except the people in the room. That's not really feasible, <laughs> right? There are things we have to communicate to other people in particular ways. But I think if you start getting into what people have shared about their lives or the details of their struggles with an alcoholic, that's gossip. But if you're saying, I really appreciate the way they shared this experience or this uh, realization that they've had and that really spoke to me, I don't think that's gossip, right? I think that's you sharing the way you identify with what somebody said. Yeah. There's this fine line for me. And sometimes I probably cross that line without realizing it. Like you said, if I take that moment to consider, is this gossip or is this me sharing something that was meaningful without bringing in the personality There's something in one of the traditions about principles over personalities, Mm -hmm. and I think that applies here. Sometimes I need a person to help reflect back to me what I'm actually finding. And if I can do that without bringing in maybe even who said this thing. Now, if we both were in the same meeting, maybe we know who said this thing. Right. But just bringing in the principles and leaving the personalities aside. And that helps me also make what I heard more personal to me, because if I am able to divide that, separate that from the person who said it, then it becomes more personal to me, I think. Yeah. And I think that's the other test for me is if I'm in a meeting and I mention my alcoholic or Um, or other alcoholics I deal with at work, for example. The question is, you know, it's not that I'm never allowed to mention them, but is the point of the story about me or is it about them? If the point of the story is about my behavior, how I reacted to something or what I observed about myself and how I learned from that, then that's okay. But if the point is just to sit there and judge them, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be focused on me because guess what? I don't control other people. Yeah. Or as the words that flew through my mind at that moment were bitch and moan. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to say, so if you're listening and you're young in the program, new to Elena, new to recovery, still trying to figure out what this is actually all about, I want to assure you that this is a process. I didn't come in here and suddenly I was never gossiping. It took a long time. Absolutely. Um, Progress, not perfection. And I still do it occasionally. Okay. And 
the way that I got from there to here was by practicing new behaviors, by taking some inventory. This is one of the reasons that inventory is such a powerful tool because it gives me an opportunity to reflect on past behaviors and patterns of behavior and maybe what underlies that. I actually was listening to a podcast yesterday. The name of the podcast is Fragmented to Whole. It's Barb N. Barb Nagel. She identifies herself by her whole name on the podcast. Was a guest on the recovery show a few episodes back talking about boundaries. This episode on her podcast, episode 229, was titled, Why I Think of Gossip as an Anti-Intimacy Campaign. She says a lot of good stuff in there, and you should go listen to the whole episode. But the thing that stuck out for me was, if I'm talking with you about somebody else, I don't have to talk about me. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be intimate and vulnerable in my relationship with you if we are mutually agreeing to talk about somebody else. I had never thought about it that way. But as soon as she said it, I was like, oh, duh, (laughs) that's so obvious. And come back to that thing about me telling my boss that I think he's a great boss. I'm opening up to him when I do that. But if I can say it to a third party, I'm not. I don't have to put myself out there as much or at all. And you know what's interesting about that example, Spencer, is that part of what you're saying when you say to a third person, this is the best boss I've ever had, is you're kind of saying all the bosses before this one kind of sucked. Some of them did. Some of them were okay. But I think it's, it's different than saying directly to him, hey, you're a really good boss and I appreciate that you're a really good boss. Um, because you're right, that does make you vulnerable in a certain way. And your example of how gossip is is anti-intimacy intersects really interesting with something that that came to my mind when I was writing my fourth step about this, yeah. which was something I'd read in Brene Brown's book, Braving the Wilderness, that really spoke to me at the time. And this was before I was in recovery. It's the section of the book where she talks about how we use gossip to cut wire intimacy with someone we don't know that well yet. I like the fact that she uses the verb hot wire because it's like, it's cheating. We're stealing something like stealing a car. We're trying to steal intimacy or cheat our way to fast intimacy by taking someone into our confidence, sharing gossip, sharing a rumor or sharing, just sharing information that's none of their business. Maybe often it's not our story to share, but we're sharing something about someone else that is a mutual acquaintance. She calls that common enemy intimacy. That you're creating a kind of counterfeit intimacy with someone else by sharing a common enemy with them. Say that again. What was that phrase again? Common enemy intimacy. Common enemy intimacy. Okay. Yeah. That really spoke to me because I thought, wow, that is how gossip works. And as a person who's moved around a lot, and I'm not in a place where I live near my extended family or friends I've had for 25 years. When I moved 10 years ago to a really new place and had no friends, one of the things that happened is that this person I now have an ongoing conflict with at work 
used gossip in that way with me to build a counterfeit, fast intimacy. And of course, on the one hand, I was learning this person talks about other people. So of course, he might do that with me too. He might talk to other people about me, right? Mm. But but it created this false sense of, of a connection between us that really didn't have any history or any kind of solid foundation behind it. So I think that really spoke to me. And I think both of those things can be true at the same time. Like we can be getting this counterfeit intimacy with people we don't know that well by gossiping about others. And at the same time, we're avoiding real intimacy by being honest about ourselves, forthright about how we feel about a situation directly with that person. Yep. That's interesting. Okay. Now I'm trying to think about conversations I had last night where I was out with a group of friends and some people I didn't, I didn't know very well or in, or at least one case I'd never met before and got into conversation with. And I don't think I did that, but I'm trying to think now, like, were there third-party references that I could just throw in there to keep the conversation going? Okay, I'm going to have to think about that. Do I use what is effectively gossip as a way of sidestepping building real intimacy with somebody that I don't know or don't know very well yet? Wow. Yeah. I think I read that probably about four or five years ago, and it stuck with me this whole time. It's a really interesting concept to think about gossip as a sort of cheap, fast way of building counterfeit intimacy. Uh, Because we all crave belonging, Mm -hmm. right? We Mm -hmm. all crave feeling like we're part of an in-group. And we crave human connection and intimacy, but of course, we all have trauma and fear and all those things that keep us from always being authentic in the way we interact with other people. Which reminds me of something somebody said in a meeting that I can't bring up because it was said in the context of a meeting. Oh, it was so perfect, too. Oh. I have an interesting story that, and maybe you can help me figure out what part of this is gossip because. This is the other story that really came to my mind when I was thinking about this topic. It's kind of a rough story. I just want to warn people. Like, it's a pretty intense story. There's some discussion of suicide in it. So if you don't want to listen to that, you might want to fast forward for the next two minutes. This is about an interaction with my alcoholic. But but the point of the story will be about how I reacted and hopefully not about taking her inventory. Our younger son we adopted here. In fact, he just turned eight. He hasn't had any contact with his birth parents for a very long time because they're both addicted to drugs and in and out of incarceration. We got a call in January that his birth mother had died. We had been separated for a year at that point, We had just settled like the kind of financial and custody stuff. And it was still very hard for me to have to interact with her on a weekly basis. So I get this information from a family member that we're still in touch with. And it turns out that the birth mother was walking along the train tracks here in town, Mm. very cold night. And she was hit by a train. So immediately I'm thinking, oh, dear God, someday I'm going to have to tell my son, my beloved 
son, my sweet boy, that this is what happened to his birth mother. When I share the story with my ex-wife, she just absolutely loses it. She calls me and she's crying and she's like, this is so terrible and it's so sad and this is not what I wanted for her. I wanted her life to work out differently. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, we all did, but she's an addict. (laughs) And then she's asking me all these questions. Did she do it on purpose? Was it suicide? Was it an accident? Or was she high and she fell in front of the train? And we don't know any of these things, right? But she's wanting me to act like her friend in that moment. Well, it's really triggering a whole bunch of stuff for me because I'm like, I am not your emotional support anymore. You decided you didn't want that <laughs> and mm-hmm. you left. So I'm you know, I'm navigating that and also my absolute and total sorrow for my son, who's my first thought. And of course, I feel sorrow for the birth mother too, but I felt sorrow for her for a very long time. So that wasn't really new. I was really focused on how this might affect my son. And my ex-wife wants to immediately tell him. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, he doesn't need to know this right now. He doesn't, he's eight. The time he was seven. This woman is not in his life. He doesn't know her. He occasionally asks about his birth parents. And I say, we have pictures. Would you like to see them? And then he says, no. And and the conversation's over. Okay, interesting. Like when he's he's ready, we'll tell me. And I'm not going to put that on him, but my ex-wife is just like in her emotions about it. And of course, I'm thinking, how does this affect you as someone who's had an addiction your whole adult life? How are you identifying with this woman who died? How are you not? I don't even know what's going on in her head, but her reaction is really emotional. Then there's another twist, which Mm. is that someone points us to a fundraising page, like a GoFundMe page that the birth mother's mother has started in which she implies that she's raising money for her grandchildren, which would be our son and his half-sister who was adopted somewhere else. And of course, we have no contact with this woman. And whatever money she's raising, we don't have any illusion that we will see a cent of it. And this just sends my ex-wife into a total tailspin. Like this right. is fraud and this is terrible. And this is why she ended up as an addict on the streets because she has a horrible mother and blah, 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 blah. And you know, if I'm being honest with you, Spencer, three years ago, I probably would have gone down that road with her. But yeah. now that I'm in Al-Anon, I think a lot differently about everyone involved around an addiction. And I'm much less interested in finding blame <laughs> and shame and much more like I've retrained my brain, I think in some ways on my best days, not my every day, but on my best days to look for empathy and compassion for everybody involved. Right. Hmm. So my ex-wife shows up and she's the birth grandmother has been interviewed by the newspaper. And now it's like in the paper and the GoFundMe pages in the paper. And she's bringing me like eight copies of the paper and she's, you know, talking to everybody. And I can just tell she has just gone off a cliff. Like she's just been completely activated by this and she can't let it go. And she sends me this text that says, we should sue her for half of whatever she gets from this GoFundMe. And I just responded very, very calmly. We will do no such thing. We will stay far away 
from all of that drama. And I thought, I'm, I've really been changed because I can see that this is not about what it should be about. Like my first concern has to be for my son. My second concern is what is my part in this? Do I have any part to play here at all? No, I don't control this woman. I don't control the circumstances of the birth mother's death. I do control when and how my son gets this information. I, I don't know what the relationship of him with your ex is, because if she decides to tell him, right? Yes. I think talked her down from that by reminding her that he doesn't need to know right now mm -hmm. and telling him now before he's old enough to process that information might really harm him. And she was able to hear that, but, but she was able to hear that in part because I wasn't reacting and being crazy. I wasn't feeding her and I wasn't reacting to her or judging her. I was like standing over here going, whoo, this is nuts. And I don't want to get caught up in it. But I felt like if I'd engaged in a whole lot of round and round with other people about the circumstances of his birth mother's death and what was going on with this GoFundMe and everything else. Oh, yeah. That would have been gossip. Totally. And it would have, as you said, sucked you into that whirlwind or something for sure. And so instead, I went to a meeting. <laughs> I went to a meeting and I shared on it in the meeting and then I didn't have to keep thinking about it or ruminating on it because there's, it's a terrible thing that happened. It's extremely sad and there's nothing I can do to change it. Nope. Nope. It's just realizing that, you know, sometimes I think before program, I would have thought, that me talking to other people about that situation was just me processing a hard thing. It was just me wanting to talk out my feelings, talk about a sad situation. Mm -hmm. You know, there are responsible and irresponsible ways to react to our feelings and we don't have to indulge them all the time. There's a way in which part of that performance would have been about we're the good adoptive moms who swooped in and saved this boy. Aren't we better than this this poor addicted woman who's, who got hit by a train. This is why we needed to be his parents. Rather than just thinking, this is really sad. It's really tragic what addiction does to people and to the people around them. And it's sad to me that this is another way that addiction will potentially affect my son emotionally. Because someday he'll have to know this when he asks. Maybe I'll wait till he's 30, but... <laughs> I would guess sometime between 8 and 30 is, yeah. is appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it starts when he asks and you say, I have pictures, and he says, yeah, I'd like to see those. Yeah, he'll let me know when he wants more. Gossip can cause harm. I know there have been times when I have said something about somebody and maybe came back around to them, and then they were hurt by that. I'm not bringing anything up out of my memories right now, which is probably a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> Unless it's something where I need to make amends still to somebody who's probably no longer in my life. But you never know when somebody's going to show back up, do you? You don't. Laurel shared a story with me about an incident she was involved in as a manager at her job. 
As a result, a coworker was found in violation of policy and has decided to retaliate against her personally by spreading his version of what happened. We can't share the whole story with you because of confidentiality issues, but it has definitely affected her work environment. He, of course, gives his version, and and that's the one that, that counts. It's created real factionalism at work, and there's clearly people who believe his version and, uh, and basically won't speak to me, and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, that's a tough one. Wow. But that is a rumor, right? That is yep. gossip. That is talking yeah. about me and saying things that aren't true uh, behind my back that affects, that's really created a hostile work environment. It's a real exercise in learning what you can and can't control. And I, when I get really frustrated about it, I think this is why gossip is bad and you should not engage in it either. You can clean up your side of the street. Yes. Unfortunately, you can't really force somebody to clean up their side of the street. I can't. No. So what are we doing now? What am I doing now differently? How am I setting boundaries? I think back to this time when two or three of us would gather in somebody's office and talk about somebody who wasn't in there about how they were making unreasonable demands or screwing us up somehow or whatever was going on. When I find myself getting pulled into that sort of conversation now, I leave. It's that simple. I might feel like I need to say something. Like, I'm sorry, I don't want to be part of this conversation. Or depending, I guess, on the context... It might just be something I can walk away from without saying anything. So that's one thing. Like when somebody else tries to pull me into gossip and I notice it, I can walk away from it. I think what's trickier for me is still noticing if I'm starting it. Because I feel justified in whatever it is that I'm about to say, I think. Mm -hmm. I always think I'm doing it to help someone. I always think I'm doing it because the person I'm telling needs to know this thing to help them relate to that person in some way or navigate a situation in some way. And I would have persisted in that belief if it wasn't for Al-Anon teaching me to think about managing, mothering, and manipulating differently. For me, the best remedy is silence. Keeping my mouth shut, which is really hard for me. It's up and talker. And I'm I'm outgoing and I love people and I I love having a chat. But when I feel like a conversation is turning in that direction, I it's like, let's talk about a book we just read or a television show or a movie. Have you seen Oppenheimer, right? Like, can I turn the conversation in a different direction? And, you know, a couple of times people at work have asked me directly about the situation. And I had to rehearse what to say because the temptation to defend myself would be right there. And so instead, I just said, I'm sorry that he feels that way. Uh, this is not a situation that I can talk about. Yeah. But, you know, you just have to have some restraint. And I guess empathy for other people. Would you want the person you're talking about to hear what you said or not? That is always a key question. Yes. If I am saying something about somebody else that I don't want them to hear, I should shut that blankety blank up. 
No question about that. Yep. Yeah. It's right up there with the WAIT acronym. Why am I talking? Why am I talking about this person? I don't think I've ever heard that acronym before. I thought I heard them all. No, why am I talking? Wait, I love it. That's going to go. I have all the best ones on post-it notes on my computer monitor. There you go. Add that one. A friend of mine this morning was just talking about a situation in which he was using that because he knew that if he spoke up and said his mind, that the situation would degenerate. And he didn't need to go there at that time. He said, so I used wait. There's also waste. Why am I still talking? Which is, oh, wait, I'm still talking. That's the kind of thing you can write it on the palm of your hand if you decide you need to, right? Yep. It's like the friend of mine that I've spoken of before who got a little pause button tattooed on her wrist so that she could be reminded that, oh, I can pause. I don't have to say anything right now. I don't have to keep going in this direction. Sometimes those little things like that, as Eric says, they're pocket change he can pull out when he needs to. He doesn't need a whole paragraph of a reading. All he needs is a word or a slogan. I just want to come back around to having learned by practicing in meetings these tools of not talking about a third party, not even talking about somebody who's there in the meeting, if that is the group conscience of the meeting, that we don't talk about each other. In other words, we don't cross-talk, which most of the meetings I go to, in fact, I think all of the meetings that I go to on a regular basis, don't support cross-talk, but it's part of the group conscience of the meeting that we don't do it. Different people have different definitions of what that means, but the very simple one of not talking about another person in the meeting, not making personal comments about other people and about what they might have said. To me, that's the minimum, not responding directly to somebody. I had to learn that. I had to practice that. Being regularly in a place where everybody else, or at least most everybody else, is practicing that really helped me to learn it. Absolutely. I think Al-Anon friends are the first friendships I think I've had that aren't built on any form of gossip because it's a shared value from the beginning. And you know what we talk about instead? We talk about ourselves and our recovery. Yes, we do. Coming back to your point about gossip as an anti-intimacy tool from Barb Nagel's podcast, right? Yes. Instead of talking about other people. And, and as for crosstalk, when I first came into program, I thought, this is weird. Like the whole point of these meetings is I go and I hear people's stories and I totally identify with them. And I'm so relieved. Mm-hmm. It's so helpful. Mm-hmm. And then I realized no one else needs to know that I feel that way. Like my feelings are mine. I don't have to put them on everybody else. But also, other people in that room might be having different experiences of all these stories, and those things are all equally valid. Right. And some people are not me and have a much harder time sharing in a meeting, have a much harder time opening up in that space. And if I respond directly to them, they might have a negative reaction to that. Or somebody else might have interpreted their story mm-hmm. within their own experience in a totally different way and I don't need to steal that from them by making it my own. 
I came to understand the point of crosstalk was not that I wasn't supposed to be identifying, but that if I wanted to say I really identified with that, all I had to do was tell my own story that demonstrated that, right? Like sometimes I think I'm prompted to to add a personal reflection or tell a story of my own experience that parallels something someone else has said along those same lines in that meeting. And I don't have to say what Ed said made me think of this. I just Mm -hmm. say it and people benefit from it or not. Right. It's weird at first because we spend so much time in everyday life. I think it's partly people pleasing, right? Trying to find ways to identify with other people to make them feel comfortable, um, to make them feel like they have something in common with us. It goes back to that wanting to feel like you belong but there might be some counterfeit intimacy there too. So it's interesting to think like, let's say somebody at work comes to me and they have a story about Billy, the alcoholic who has made my life really difficult. I don't have to tell them anything. I can listen to their story and I can validate what they're saying and tell them I believe them. I don't have to tell them anything about my own experience to do that. Indeed. Indeed. Do you have any closing thoughts One of them is that this is an ongoing challenge. It's one of the things that most commonly comes up in conversations with Al-Anon friends. I mean, how often in a meeting have you heard someone say, I don't want to crosstalk, but, (laughs) you know, we have these things in place because they're so normalized outside of meetings. I try not to beat myself up if I feel like I've fallen into a gossip session with someone. I just try to analyze it and think, Why did I do that? What did I think I was doing? And how could I do something differently next time? But I suspect I will struggle with this for the rest of my life because I think it's bound up with the wanting to belong, wanting to a shared sense of intimacy and community with people, being far from my home of origin, and people-pleasing too, right? I do think there are times when we gossip because we think it will please the other person that we've brought them this nugget. So I suspect it, it like everything else in program, it's not going to be something I learn once. It'll be something I learn over and over again, but hopefully I get better along the way. Thanks. It's been an interesting conversation for me. And let's move on to the music. What did you pick? This was fun, actually, thinking about uh, gossip in music. The first song I picked is, of course, an Adele song uh, called Rumor Has It. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, is that obvious or not? Okay. A little on the nose. In that song, she says, I heard you've been missing me. You've been telling people things you shouldn't be. Haven't you heard the rumors? Well, it just seemed appropriate to me. Plus, it's really catchy. Actually, all three of these songs are really catchy. They're all three earworms. I apologize in advance to anyone who would be annoyed by having them run around in their head for the next week. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery recently? And I have... Actually, three podcasts that I listened to recently that spoke to me about different aspects of my recovery gave me perhaps some new views. I already talked about one of them, the Barb Nagel about gossip, 
And she had an earlier episode, episode 226, about the crosstalk rule as expressed in the ACA program and why not having crosstalk really helps people to feel safe in the program. Uh, and uh, and I think I, I learned something there. And then also, oh my God, yesterday, yesterday was a day. I was listening to a recent episode of This American Life. Oh, love that show. This was episode 809. This one is called The Call, and it's about uh, a hotline named Don't Use Alone. I should say up front that there is a lot of discussion of drug use and overdose in the episode. So if that is something that you're sensitive to, you might not want to listen to it, or you might. But be aware that it's there. This hotline is explicitly there for people who are about to use a drug, typically an opiate, but I don't think it's necessarily limited to that. And they're alone. They can call this hotline and talk to a person who will be there with them as they do whatever it is they're going to do. And this thought of being on the phone with somebody who's about to inject themselves and being there and like, give me a little bit of willies, I will say. But the message of the episode it focuses on three people who are involved in one call, the person who took the call, the paramedic who got called to the overdose, and the person who was injecting the drug. It was just so powerful. There's a lot of the Al-Anon message there without it being Al-Anon about we can't change somebody else's behavior. This person's going to inject this drug but that there are things that we can do to help reduce the harm that this person is using might experience. In the case of the call that they're profiling, the person doing the interviewing manages to talk to all three of the people who are involved and what happened then and what has happened since then. One thing that really struck me really hard was the woman who is answering the hotline in this, in this episode, her daughter is an addict mm -hmm. and is still active. Mm -hmm. And she speaks about how she's able to keep her relationship with her daughter open, even though her daughter could die of an overdose any day um, because she's still using she doesn't express it in the terms that I've heard in our meetings and in our literature, but the attitude of, I love this person. I want to keep my relationship open with this person. And if I try to control her usage, her using, I'm going to lose that. She says several times, what is my wish for my daughter? That she stays alive. And that maybe she stays alive long enough to find sobriety, but at least she stays alive. And I thought, oh, that is so powerful. 
So I'm still thinking about it, right? It's still, <laughs> and it was only yesterday that I listened to it. And it was one of those things where I was not sure that I actually wanted to listen to it. Sometimes they have an episode that I just can't go there yeah. and I just skip it. But this one, I thought I'd give it a try. And it just, once I got into it, I was like, oh man. Ugh. And thank God, neither of my children is in that place, but they could have been. Those are some things that, that really sparked my recovery thinking in the last few days. Maybe I'll stop there. There's other stuff going on, but I think I'll just stop there. Thanks, Spencer. I, I love podcasts in general, and This American Life has been a favorite of mine since before there were things called podcasts, right? When I was just a show on the radio. This week, I went to my regular meeting. I think I have two home groups. Are you allowed to have two home groups? There's two meetings I really like and go to every week. Now, I was getting ready to go that evening to the fair with my boys and my ex. And so I just said in the meeting, like, I'm going to do this. And it's really the first thing we've done, all four of us together in a long time. And I don't know what prompted me to invite her. I just wasn't thinking very clearly. I was like, do you want to come with us? And then she said, yes. And then I was like, oh, but anyway, on the way out the door, one of one of the old timers in the meeting who I really love a lot said to me, hey, Laurel, have fun. And yeah. <laughs> I was like, right. Don't be so tied up with how this could go wrong that you forget the point is to have fun. Go ride silly rides and spend too much money and eat all the things and have a good time. For sure. And it was a really nice reminder to, to keep things in perspective. You know, that's the wisdom of the rooms, man. Um, and I did have fun. I did have fun. Thanks. Yeah. Great reminder. Yep. Great reminder. As I look forward, thinking about what might be up next for the podcast, I have received some shares from you about your experience at the Al-Anon International Convention. I asked if you were there, could you drop us a voice memo or an email about your experience there? And looking back now a few months later, what has stuck with you? And I've got a few shares on that that I will be assembling into an episode shortly. Uh, so that's coming up, and you can still contribute at this point. Send us a voicemail, an email with your feedback, or your thoughts about gossip. What is your experience with gossip? What have you learned, and how are you maybe setting boundaries around that for yourself now? Laurel, how can people do that? How can they send us feedback or share their experience? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. You can also send a voice memo or email to feedback at the recovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of gossip or any of our other up upcoming topics, including your experience at the Al-Anon International Convention. If you have a topic you'd like to talk about, let us know. 
If you would like advance notice for some of our topics so that you can contribute to that topic, you can sign up for our mailing list by sending an email to feedback at the recovery.show. Put email in the subject line to make it easier to spot. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? That would be our website, which is, as you might have guessed, therecovery.show, along with several other variants. This website has information about the show. The main thing that you're going to find there is notes for each of the episodes, which will include links to the books we read from, the podcasts we talked about, uh, and videos for the music that Laurel chose for this episode. So... Go visit us at therecovery.show, and this one is therecovery.show slash 402, if you want to go straight to the episode itself. And what's our second song? Oh, this song is such a great anthem. It's a song by Jill Scott called Hate On Me, which they did a cover of on the television show Glee, probably close to 20 years ago now. If you, if you have subwoofers in your car, you should just turn it way up and blast the song as high as possible. This is a song for the days when you feel really burned by the gossip mill. And it is, the anthem is hate on me haters now or later, cause I'm going to do me. Right. Doesn't matter what you th- say about me. I got to be true to myself. quite a backlog of listener feedback, so I will be spreading it out over the next few episodes. I'm also trying an experiment here, using generated voices to read some of the emails. My hope is that we'll provide a bit more variety, but maybe you really want to hear my voice. Let me know what you think. The first email is from Hilda. Hi, Spencer. I'm always so happy to see a new podcast from you in my feed. I hope your break was healing. I wanted to send you healing vibes from one plantar fasciitis sufferer to another. Mine too is coming back though not with the vengeance it did last summer. I'm also in denial and putting off going to the podiatrist as the cure was so painful last time. Anyway, I know what it's like to be in pain every time you take a step, or in my case, every other step, as only one of my feet is affected. It sucks. I'm sure there is some analogy to recovery here, pain, steps, etc. But it's early and I haven't had my coffee. Anyway, thanks so much for your podcast. Misty was great. Episode 397 from Wounded to Empowered. Hell, they're all great dot 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 and so are you. Hilda W. Loyal listener. Thanks, Hilda, for writing and uh, thanks for asking about my plantar fasciitis, which is much better. Uh, I think switching shoes were, in my case, during the summer, not shoes whenever I can get away with it, really helped with that. I am now hoping it's not going to come back as we get into winter and I have to be wearing more binding footwear. Alba wrote, Dear Spencer, I was worried about your health or something bad happening to you. You did not update the podcast for a month, maybe. And Spencer says here, it's been more than a month, I'm afraid, this time. Uh, back to Alba. And us Alanon Knights tend to have catastrophic thoughts, or at least me. I'm glad you are alive and well and surviving only with a dog with a wounded toe. Uh, again, Spencer, in jumping in here, his toe has, has healed. It's a little crooked, but doesn't seem to bother him, so we're great there. Alba continues, I enjoyed listening to your last show on forgiveness and the power of love. My brother died of suicide, but the message he gave me from his grief was, when you are confused, lonely, angry, go back to love, or the path of love, that I think in my case is at least a path of love. I'm sending all my appreciation for your work and big-time service to the program. 
You are helping so many suffering Al-Ananites, and even non-suffering ones, all the time. I have been in recovery now for 13 years. I'm still living with my husband. Still doing pretty good most days. Okay, must go. Thank you, thank you, Alba. Well, thank you for writing, Alba. And I am hopeful and expectant that when I retire in less than a month, I will have time to get the podcast out much more regularly. Been a little crazy the last few months, but I'm fine. And thanks for writing. Ashley left us a voicemail. Good morning, Spencer and Recovery Show. This is Ashley from Alberta. I'm calling in today just to express my gratitude again for all the things that you do in the participation of this community. Um, I just finished listening to episode 383, and I think it's titled Alcoholism Destroyed Her Marriage. And initially I had scrolled past this one going, not applicable to my life. I did not marry to an alcoholic. And and then I heard a different episode and someone raved about it. And thank you to the person that did that because I went back and listened to that episode. And holy cremoles, um, if I just change wife to a different phrase, in my case, mother-in-law, everything she said is my life. If I'm going to take my mother-in-law's inventory, I do not believe she's an alcoholic, but I believe she's an untreated Allen runner. Or potentially a dry drunk. I don't know. Either way, it's not relevant. All I know is that everything that was shared in that 383 episode is very much what I'm facing in my life. It's just, I've tried all the things. I've tried every version of communication that I can think of. And all I've gotten back was blame, shame, and abuse for it. And throw things thrown back in my face and used as a knife in my back. So hearing this episode was very validating, so thank you for putting it on. Also, work with my sponsor has shown me that I've tried all the things, and that what she said to me is, have you ever considered that maybe you're not the one with the communication issue, Ashley, and that you don't need to take responsibility for the entire situation, because you have tried. And the second half of this relationship also needs to have some accountability. And so I've stepped back and stepped off to try and give the other individual some accountability. And I'm working on this, and it's challenging. But if the other side doesn't change, then nothing else can change on that side, right? I'm very grateful that your co-host mentioned shame cycle, because I can see that as well in my mother-in-law. But also, as your co-host mentioned, pointing it out does nothing. I have tried that, (laughs) and it didn't really come of anything good. It with more hurt and more lashing out. And the readings, the hardware store looking for bread and picking up the rope readings out of our conference proof literature. I need to go back again, apparently, and read those ones again because, yeah, yeah, that's where I am. That's where I am. Thank you for those reminders. Your co-host said something along the lines of, she didn't need to be right, but she felt like she needed to be understood. And I so desperately want to be understood and loved by this woman before she moved in with us. I look to her as my surrogate mother and that she was able to be that person that I needed uh, without me fully understanding who she truly was. And now I know who she truly is. I can see that's not realistic. I have some mummy issues and I'm working on, what do they call it, being my own loving parent. And that is challenging. Everything from this episode, though, really spoke to me. You had someone call in and leave and a topic idea and a personal share. I believe her name was Colleen and she was speaking on boredom is what she called it. And whole net. Yep, this speaks to me as well. I haven't done it so much in recent years, 
but early in my program, I'd go and watch YouTube videos that were like super cute and mushy so I could cry and I could feel. I didn't know how else to bring up these feelings. So I would go and watch things on the internet that would bring up these feelings so I could feel them through other people. And sometimes I still reach out to other people to try and dump my stuff on them, like program people and whatnot, because I don't know how to just sit with my feelings. I'm getting better there, especially with the increase of meditation and I'm living more in the space of serenity than I ever have in my entire life. And that's because I'm sitting still and I'm feeling the emotions. I'm journaling and I'm giving space for my emotions. And once I give them space, they seem to just like dissipate. And what's left is that what I like to call the eye of the storm or the void where I can just sit and I can be. I don't need to be a human doing. I can just be a human being and I can enjoy peace and serenity and calm and those are very new things in my life. Even after seven, eight years of Al-Anon, it's only been the last year that I finally understood what serenity is meaning in my life. And so thank you so much for all that you do and for everyone who contributes to this because, oh my gosh, the amount of healing that this podcast has brought to me is immeasurable. And I am becoming a person I want to be because of this community. So thank you for being a part of my healing journey and I look forward to future episodes. Thank you, Ashley, for that wonderful voicemail. It is so gratifying to hear how the work that we do here has a real impact on your life. Thank you for sharing that. Next is an email from Kathy B. And again, I'm using a generated voice to read her email. Good morning, Spencer. I sit here wishing I had an Al-Anon phone list. While I do go to my local Wednesday meeting regularly, I don't feel close to any of the old ladies that are the core regulars for the meeting. I live in a very rural area, and suppose I should be grateful for the one meeting that is available. I will hit the 7 a.m. online meeting from my app, but that is half hour away. I need something now, Spencer. You are a godsend. Thank you for being there for me this morning. As I type this, I'm listening to episode 356 on unacceptable behavior, domestic violence. In my case, I'm going to call it emotional abuse. I'm grateful for the search option on your page. I realize that my partner, qualifier, suffers from GAD, generalized anxiety disorder, and he had an episode this morning. He flew off the handle and there was painful drama. I have been in program since 12 18 19. It has changed my life for the better in so many ways. My recovery has somehow magically rubbed off on my partner. So this morning's drama hit me extra hard as it was quite severe and unexpected. I am trying to find a way forward. I don't want to kick him out, but I don't want to be the proverbial floor mat either. I trust my HP to guide me. I will pray and meditate and believe that the next right thing will present itself. I am the frog in the pot of water, but I see what is happening, and I have successfully splashed enough to extinguish the flame for the moment. Thank you for being a resource to me and all the rest of us out here in the Al-Anon internet universe. Brightest blessings, Kathy B. Tabernash, Colorado. Thank you for writing, Kathy. I love that you see that your recovery has somehow magically rubbed off on your partner and that, yeah, it doesn't always stick. I know that for me, my recovery doesn't always stick. Sometimes I go back to where I was before, maybe not quite as far back, but you know, it happens. Having a resource to reach out for is often a blessing. Thank you. And we got a voicemail from Claudio. I think so. My name is Claudio. I live in Australia. And I was listening to episode 31. It's around an hour and 10 into it. 
in one episode, you say we're going to join three separate podcasts, and one of them, which is called the recovery, is on number 429. And you go, oh, we can only aspire. And here you are, just about 10,400 on your episode. And you're providing so much service and so much beauty to everyone, including myself. I really appreciate your podcast. It helped me a lot on my steps. I put the first slide into step seven, and that episode was very good for me. So thank you very much, and good anniversary. Thank you, Claudio, for those anniversary wishes. And yeah, episode 31, that was a while ago. And I think I was talking about the podcast Recovered, which at that time was on episode 429, apparently, and is now well over episode number 1,100. Yeah, pretty amazing. Got an email from Brenda who writes, Thank you so much, Spencer, for this and all your podcasts. I really needed this today. I've decided to sell my home in Florida where I've lived for 20 plus years. My son, who may or may not be currently in recovery, lives with me and is finding it difficult to find an affordable place to move to. I know that for my own mental and physical health, my decision to leave Florida is the right thing to do, but I am terrified that by doing so, I might be causing my son to have yet another slip. Then I go back to Al-Anon, didn't cause it, can't control it, and can't cure it, which is somewhat comforting, but also fills me with despair that there is truly nothing I can do to help him with this disease. Brenda, thank you so much for writing. You know, I think back to when my son was having some mental health issues. He ended up in a psych ward for a while, and and I had to help him out. I did what I could do to provide him the things that he couldn't provide for himself. But when it came to things like getting readmitted to school, finding a new place to live because of the no-contact order that he had received from an ex, those I couldn't help him with. And and he had to figure that out for himself. And I had to let him figure it out for himself because, you know, he was an adult and I had to get back to my life 1,500 miles away and he had to continue with his life where he was. But it's not easy to see the decisions that, that he was making and not being positive that they were the best decisions for him, but, you know, they did work out and I had to leave him to the care of his own higher power. Thanks for writing. Chris sent a voicemail. Hi, sister. This is Chris from Michigan. I just listened to episode 106 in the moment, and you were sharing about how you only need to work towards the end of the podcast. You're saying, I just need to work on one thing. Just take one thing home. Um, And I've been working on just keeping my mouth more positive about my loved one particularly, but or not talking about people in general. And I was just beating myself up over the fact that I blew it yesterday. So the concept of being in the moment was perfect. Plus your amazing statement that God just says, you know, you, you kind of messed up there, but you're doing good. Just keep practicing. The concept of just practicing and not making a big deal of it was so helpful. So thank you so much. You go back. Thank you, Chris, for that reminder of my own reminder to you. Veronica writes, Listen to your Ep 399, Al-Anon in Literature. Check out Where Do You Go, Bernadette? by Maria Semple. Al-Anon is mentioned when one of the Al-Anonic characters ends up going into the rooms because of her behavior. 
It reads like as if you are watching the show Arrested Development. It's smart, funny, and so dysfunctional that you have to just laugh about it. Veronica P., Portland, Oregon. Thanks for the recommendation, Veronica. I will have to check that out. Shannon left a comment on episode number one. Hello, I am Shannon, and this is my first time listening to your podcast. I would love to know how to choose boundaries that may be comfortable to myself and boundaries that I have for others. My loved one is incarcerated and said that this podcast should be very helpful in our journey for a happy and healthy future. I have a problem with alcohol and why the drinking really happened. Thanks for your podcast. I can honestly say that I am an alcoholic and a very painful one. Well, thank you, Shannon, for that comment. We've got several other episodes on boundaries that you can find if you go to the search function at therecovery.show. I hope you find the help that you need. Lori writes, hello, Spencer and any co-pilots. Would it be possible to do a show on sharing? How to share, what to share, what not to share? How to avoid being the dreaded oversharer and how to deal with the constant crosstalker? I realize that some meetings offer a very loose format, but what is the best way to deal with someone who uses their share to offer unsolicited advice, label another person, that sounds like being a martyr, or to call people out on their mistakes or missteps? The parameters leave sharing to simply speaking about our experience, strength, and hope. As someone more experienced, can you give some insights on sharing and how to make sure that sharing doesn't bite us in the butt or how to deal with the unofficial yet all-knowing leaders? Thanks. And if there is a show that I've missed on this topic, please let me know. And there's a little smiley face with glasses. Only the best, Lori. Oh, man, Lori, that's, that's huge. Yeah, that sounds like a great topic. And I would love to have somebody join me to talk about any number of these questions. April sent an email. Hi, Spencer. I made it through your catalog, listening to episode 399 last Wednesday as I drove home from Boston. I began listening to the recovery show several years ago before COVID. I think it was somewhere around the time you and Eric recorded the episode on kindness. I loved that episode and listened to it many times and even shared it with my primary active qualifier, my brother, in an attempt to share the message in a non-threatening way. Who can bark at kindness? Not sure if he listened. Anyway, at some point, I started at the beginning and listened all the way through with natural breaks here and there. Now that I've made it through the catalog, there is some grief or feelings around withdrawal at not being able to immediately listen to the next episode. I hope that you are able to find time and resources for a regular cadence for new episodes. As so many others have said, your podcast has been absolutely instrumental to my recovery. I joined Al-Anon in October 2015, a few months before my initial qualifier. My father died from the disease in March 2016. During the pandemic, maybe 2020, I joined ACA and have been working both programs since. My milestone in Al-Anon is that I now have a real relationship with a higher power, and I pray to my higher power daily via writing a little note to my HP on a post-it and putting the note in my God box. I pray some version of an 11-step prayer. Dear higher power, please allow me to know your will for me and to have the power to carry it out. Please allow me to feel and know your love, care, and validation to such a degree I need not look for those things outside myself. Please shine your light through me. And so on. Through these prayer notes, the beauty of the prayer note is that it is contained to the amount of space on the post-it. It doesn't go on and on. 
I have manifested so much recovery in my life, in my relationships with my husband and son, who's nine and a half, in my job, and with myself. It feels I can't really do the profundity of it all justice through this message right now, but suffice it to say, I am immensely grateful for your podcast and that it has been available to help me on my path. Thank you so much, yours in recovery, April in Westchester County, New York. Well, thank you, April. That is a wonderful share and a great milestone. Thanks. Paula wrote about episode 387, Co-Crazy. I am relatively new to Al-Anon. I attend one meeting a week and read a bit. A meeting member mentioned a podcast. Later, I inquired as to which podcast. It was yours. I am poking around and choosing topics that catch my attention. The title, Co-Crazy, caught my attention. But first, I had to look up what codependency was. OMG, that's me. As I listened to the podcast, I was crying, but good tears. I also realized that during my life, I watched my favorite people behave as codependents as well. My mother's two husbands were alcoholics, and my grandfather was a dry drunk. His mother was the alcoholic. I always thought that this behavior was due to the times. A woman's places in the home and the man of the house mentality is what they were stuck with. Nope. Your podcast and website are wonderful. I plan to start at the beginning now. It will be part of my daily must-haves. Thank you. Paula. And then, another email. A hit send too soon. Good old anxiety. I was writing about the Co-Crazy podcast. I wanted to add that I am Co-Crazy along with my mom and grandmother. But I also feel that watching them with the alcoholic men in my life, I was watching mind readers. They were so good at knowing how to prevent a problem from arising. It was as if the men said, jump, and mom said, how high? Thanks to them, I am now a master of codependency. I told someone recently, I feel as if I am taking crazy pills. Maybe that's why the title of this podcast caught my attention. Ha ha. Thank you again, Paula. Well, thanks, Paula. And I will forward your note to Sarah, who I recorded that episode with, and that was her term, co-crazy. Mark sent an email and... Again, I will try out the uh, generated voice for Mark's email. Spencer, thanks as always for your service and for the recent episode about Al-Anon lessons in non-Al-Anon literature. I read Cormac McCarthy's Sutry years before I experienced the things that brought me to the rooms and it was a disturbing and alcohol-soaked book, which years later I found myself returning to in my mind and in which I found an early sense of compassion and besieged dignity and even empathy for alcoholics, which I had missed in my struggles against alcohol in the real world. I've read Dickens' A Christmas Carol many times and found new resonance in it after I came into the rooms. A recovery carol, Scrooge not as alcoholic but as Al-Anonic. He certainly goes on a spiritual journey and if he isn't visited by twelve spirits of Christmas, the three he meets do take him on a compressed version of self-discovery. As the ghost of Christmas past guides Scrooge through his painful moral inventory, he looks back on his child self. Banished from his home, isolated and bereft of hope in a boarding school over the holidays, Scrooge is shaken and nearly sobbing as he belatedly comes to terms with his own sadness, in a way that he was incapable of as a child. He at last feels those emotions he had long ago stifled and sealed. Dickens is opaque on the express cause of Scrooge's youthful miseries, but his father, always beyond the margins of the page, in his absence fits the profile of an alcoholic parent, who, over time, somehow becomes more kind and gentle, perhaps sobers, and accepts Scrooge back. 
and Scrooge thrives for a time, finds work, fellowship, and even joy in Fezziwig's employ, meets and courts a wonderful girl whom he was to wed. Yet Scrooge is not saved from the consequences of his early emotional deprivation, and every aspect of Scrooge's life becomes consumed by his irrational greed and money hoarding. All his nobler aspirations fall off one by one. The ghost of Christmas present is, for me, the most vivid and vibrant, the spirit of the most presence, and he is an absolute stranger to Scrooge who is lead in a master class in gratitude and living in the moment. By the time of the appearance of the awful ghost of Christmas yet to come, Scrooge is already a changed man, genuinely thankful despite his fear and foreboding. He comes to understand that nothing changes if nothing changes, men's courses will foreshadow certain ends, to which, if persevered in, they must lead, said Scrooge. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. He emerges a changed man, having had a spiritual awakening, becomes as a good a man as any in the good old world. His recovered spirit is empathetic and generous and joyous. In the opening stave, Dickens describes Marley as burdened and ceaselessly tormented. Marley's intervention on Scrooge's behalf is his sole relief from being forced to walk the earth hopelessly witnessing the world's miseries without any ability to help anyone, a foreshadowing that Dickens repeats in the dreadful scene of the wailing and lamenting spirits outside of Scrooge's window who have lost their power to do good forever. Scrooge avoids this fate and sets about making his amends his own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. Mark McPee. Wow, Mark, that is quite the essay, quite the analysis of a Christmas Carol as a recovery journey, which, you know, yeah, it is, isn't it? Got an email from Nancy who writes, Hi, Spencer. I wanted to share a resource that I recently found after listening to your podcast 395 on Mother and Son. I've been listening to your podcast for two years, but was also listening to AA podcasts in the misguided hope of feeling that if I could understand my son's substance abuse better, that I would be better able to help him recover. I thought I was doing the work necessary to help my own recovery, but I was subconsciously still trying to fix my son's addiction by osmosis, I guess. My therapist told me I was addicted to my son. She was right. Why didn't I see that? But I heard a speaker, Lisa Genosa, talk about her struggle with addiction in her family and found her story to be very helpful. Her book, Incurable Hope, has wonderful insight and thought it might be helpful to others as well. It's funny how you don't know what you don't know until you do. I wrote her to thank her for her share and wanted to pass it on to you. Maybe it will hit the right tone at the right time for someone else. Thank you for your consistency in your podcast. Well, thanks, Nancy. Uh, I don't feel like I'm being very consistent right now, but I am trying to keep going. Uh, back to Nancy's note. I know your work has helped keep me afloat, and I know it has helped others. I heard recovery requires repetition and know that staying with healthy support is the best work I can do for myself. Thanks, Nancy. And, ah, recovery requires repetition. So when I get to the point where I feel like there's nothing new for me to talk about, I can start repeating myself because recovery requires it. That's a joke. I'm smiling. It seems like I have an endless source of things to talk about. And that's wonderful. Got a note from Janice. She writes, Hi, Spencer. I have been listening to The Recovery Show since early on in the pandemic at the suggestion of my sponsor at the time. It is such a wonderful resource and has been an important part of my recovery work. I love to look for topics that I'm struggling with and go back to some more than once or twice. I'm so glad you are back to making new shows. I missed it for a while 
in your calm and thoughtful voice. I'm so grateful to all who share from the perspective of Al-Anon, my program, and from the other 12-step programs. Thank you so much, Janice R. Again, well, yeah, thanks for writing. Thanks for writing, Janice. I'm struggling to get back to a regular cadence, but I have confidence I'll get there. Nieta, Nieta, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, and maybe that's a sign, isn't it? She writes, thank you so much for the topic of people of color in Al-Anon podcast. As a person of color who is active in service beyond the group level, I think that it is important to have a podcast on racism in the service structure. She signs herself Nieta G. GEA Alternate Delegate, Panel 62, 2023 WSC Member, Young People of Color, Al-Anon Family Group, Group Representative. So Nieta is quite active in service. Thank you again for writing. Nancy L. writes, Hi Spencer, I have been listening to your show for a few years and actually been on your show. I have sent voicemails in and happily contributed to the podcast. Today, I listened to the 400th podcast, and what an accomplishment. Congratulations from the bottom of my heart. Please count me among your many avid listeners. I have one problem, though. I have requested to receive emails and have been unsuccessful. I would have loved to contribute to this latest episode and still might leave a voicemail. However, I knew nothing about this until I heard it on the recovery show. Would you please make sure I'm signed up for emails? Thank you so much, and again, what an inspiration and mentor you are to so many, Nancy L. I communicated back with Nancy, and she is on the list. It appears that emails were going in her spam folder. So if you signed up for emails and you're not getting them, looking your spam or junk or whatever your email system calls it, I think the problem might be like in the signature block at the bottom of the email I insert some links to useful resources about the recovery show and maybe the spam algorithm is looking at that and saying, Oh, there's too many links here. Uh, we're going to throw this in a spam folder. I really don't know why that happens, but it does seem to be happening to a few people. So check out if that's, uh, if that's happening to you. And that's the end of what I've got for this episode. Um, there are more in the inbox and we will catch up. Laurel, I just want to say thanks for bringing this topic because it really is not one as far as I can remember in 400 and something episodes that we've talked about. So yay. And thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope today on this topic. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be back and continue to be so grateful for Al-Anon and for the recovery show. And thank you for coming back. <laughs> it didn't scare you away the first time. No, oh. I had a great time. And, and you know what? I just want to say the listener feedback was also so amazing and touching and made me feel connected to the Worldwide Fellowship. And I should say, if you find something that, that Laurel said or that any of my guests have said that touched you and you would like to share that directly with them, I can forward Anything you send to me, I can I will forward to Laurel or to whoever was guest on another episode. And with that, we've got one more song. Oh, this is an oldie, right? This is the Go-Go song, Our Lips Are Sealed. So it's all about gossip. Can you hear them? They talk about us telling lies. Well, that's no surprise. But, but then it comes around to, doesn't matter what they say in the jealous games people play, our lips are sealed. 
there's a weapon that we must use in our defense, silence. So it's good old Poppy Go-Go's goodness, but seems to hit the nail right on it. Thank you for listening. Please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.